Uh, good morning. My name is Aaron. I'm usually standing there. Um, but today I get to preach, and it's an honor to be here. If you have your Bibles, turn over to Daniel chapter 1. I know that's a big surprise. We've been there for a while. Uh, we're not going to just park there. You're going to keep your finger there, and we're going to also turn over to Genesis chapter 11 after a little while. Um, but the reality of what we're going to be talking about today, I believe, is an important part of being a follower of Jesus in today's world. Um, I want to ask you a question, and that is, who are you? Um, the, the question you need to ask yourself is this. Let's word it this way. Who am I? Because here's the, here's the reality of it. How you define who you are will really determine how you live your life. Um, the world will try to define you in all kinds of ways. In fact, when you ask that question, who am I, there will be all kinds of answers that will probably immediately pop into your head. Uh, for me, I might say, well, I'm Aaron and I'm a pastor. Or I'm Aaron and I'm a musician. I'm Aaron, I'm a teacher. Um, I'm Aaron, I'm a husband. I'm Aaron, I'm a father. Um, I'm Aaron and I am um, fond of eating. Um, whatever it may be, the, the, we have all kinds of answers that immediately pop into our minds about that question. Who am I? So I want you to take a moment right now and think about what automatically comes into your head when you ask that question. Take a moment. Do you have the answer? Okay. Now here's the problem. As followers of Jesus, we have to allow the God of the universe to define who we are. Because if we don't, what will happen, and I am seeing this, and I think you are too, in the world today, if we allow the world to define who we are based on what we do, based on who we are around, based on the things that we think, based on our opinions, maybe even based on what we look like or who we even find attractive. If we allow the world to define us by those things and those things change, then we tend to lose our identity. And that causes a lot of conflict on the inside of us, doesn't it? I mean, have you ever felt lost? Have you ever felt like you really didn't know who you were because who you used to be is not who you are now and you're not sure where you're going? I think most of us have had some kind of interaction with our life where we have come to that. And I think that when we begin to read out of the book of Daniel, I think we can, uh, can identify with some of the things that Daniel and his three friends went through. Now think about this. Imagine being somewhere in your teen years. Maybe you're 13, maybe you're 18, maybe you're in your early 20s. And let's say that a foreign power comes into your nation and takes over everything. Everything that you are used to, everything from the way the government is run, everything from the type of food that's available and everything suddenly is removed from you. Not only that, but you are removed from your family. You're removed from all of your friends except for a few, and you're carried away into a, a foreign power where they immediately shove you into a circumstance where everything that you've ever been taught has now called into question. Not only is everything you've been taught called into question, but you are forced into an education system that says that, that where you lived before was far inferior to the way that you are living now. Not only that, they are, that you are being forced to 
to live in this world far away from everybody you've ever known, any, anywhere that you've ever been accepted, and suddenly the things that you've been taught about God are even being called into question. The education system you have is, is talking about all these false gods as the creators of the world. They're, they're giving you all kinds of ideas that are in direct opposition to the biblical training you received as a young person. You think there might be some questions about who you are that might pop into your head. You think there may have been some doubts because they have been taught their entire life that Yahweh, the God of the universe, is the most superior. He's the only one true God, and he's superior, and yet you are being carried away into the Babylonian captivity, and the people of God lost. Right? That's how they got there. The people of God lost. Do you think there might be some seeds of doubt that may have been sown into the hearts and minds of these young people. Well, when we read this passage, we understand that for a vast majority of these kids that were carried away, those seeds of doubt took root. Because we don't hear about a vast majority of these kids that were carried off into captivity. We hear about four. And these four, for whatever reason were able to hold on to who they were no matter what they were facing in this life. See, that description that we just had is exactly what these four young people were, able, were, were facing while still remaining true to the God of the Bible. So what does that mean? Well, it, for me, it means that they were able to hold on to their identity no matter what was going on around them in the world because their identity wasn't dependent on their circumstances. It wasn't dependent on the opinions of the people around them. It wasn't dependent on even the things going on in their nation. It wasn't dependent on the reality that they had lost a war. Their identity was dependent on what God said. Period. End of story. Now, in the New Testament, we read all kinds of stuff about, about identity truth. If you, if you want to know more about what Jesus says about you, if you're a follower of Jesus, just turn to the book of Ephesians and read the first two chapters. In, in, the, in those chapters, he says, man, you are forgiven, and you are righteous, and you are holy, and you're a saint, not because of what you have done, but because that's what Jesus says about you, period. Because of his work, these things are true. And that identity is something you do not lose just because you make a mistake. There is grace that is sufficient for every one of our sins. Amen? There is grace. And that identity is something that we, as followers of Jesus, can hold on to even when we fail. But the Old Testament talks about identity too. In fact, names are incredibly important in the Old Testament. So let's go ahead and read about the names of these four characters here in Daniel chapter 1, starting in verse number 6. And we're going to read verses 6 and 7. Among these young people were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. And what's interesting about that is that they had names. They had the names their mom gave them, right? And the names that their mom gave them, because they were born and raised in Israel, were, were, were names that had a very deep theological meaning. 
They had massive meaning. In fact, names in the Bible have a lot more meaning than names do today. Like we name our kids stuff, we have no idea what they mean. Right? I mean, you don't know. Like uh, my son Titus, his name, how do you remember what it means? Little giant. I, I mean, we kind of knew that, but it wasn't like on our, on our primary decision maker. I just liked the way Titus sounded. Uh, and some people spend a lot of time and energy describing what their names are and defining what their names are before they name their kids. But some of you, I knew, this is a side note. I, I knew this lady that I worked at, her name was Dorita. And yeah, seriously. And you know why they called her Dorita? Because she gave birth in the back of a taxi cab next to a Doritos truck. So she, her mom named her Dorita, right? It had meaning to her, right? Names have meaning, but not today's names don't have as much meaning as they do back there. So let's, what we're going to start off is we're going to actually um, study what these names that were given to them in the land of Israel actually meant. Daniel, one of the most popular names. In fact, many of you may have kids that you've named Daniel. The, the, the name Daniel literally translated means God is my judge. God is my judge. Now, what's interesting about that is literally when you are speaking to the guy whose name is Daniel, you're literally saying, hey, God is my judge. Come over here. Right? That's what it literally means. It means, hey, you're out playing. Hey, God is my judge. Pass me the ball. It's an odd feeling, isn't it, when you start talking like that? But their names literally meant, God is my judge. Hananiah means this, the Lord shows grace. The Lord shows grace. Mishael means, who is like our God? Who is like God? And Azariah means, the Lord helps. The Lord helps. Now, if you've ever wondered if the gospel of saving grace is found in the Old Testament. Put those four names together. Daniel, God is my judge. Step number one is recognizing that I am a sinner and God has the right to judge me. God is my judge. Number two, but even though God is my judge, he also shows grace. Grace that is in the person of Jesus Christ and his salvation. These people back then were, were born, lived, and died long before Jesus ever came. But the people of the Old Testament received salvation the same way we do. They placed their faith and trust in the coming Messiah, that God would keep his promises. By grace, they are saved. God is my judge, but he shows grace. And there's no one like our God. No one else can save and because we are sinners, we need help. The Lord helps. That's the gospel presentation in four names. And you think it's, do you think it's by accident that that gospel presentation is placed here in Daniel chapter 1 in the story of Daniel? I don't think so. And I think those names were selected by God for a, a time such as this for us to be able to recognize that God's involvement with the people of Israel did not end when they were carried away into captivity. God's plan was not derailed by Babylon. In fact, we learn, if you read later on Daniel chapter 1, it says that God used Babylon to perfect and to complete his will. You see, the people of God were not doing what the people of God were supposed to do, and so God used Babylon 
to exact punishment on his people, to bring them back to a place of dependency on him. Yet in the midst of that, God's grace is sufficient. What an amazing truth. But if you didn't know this, even though God gave them those identities, our enemy likes us to question our identity. Have you noticed that? I mean, right now we have an enemy. You know that, right? And right now he's probably whispering to you all the things in your life that you're not doing right. Maybe he's telling you that maybe you're a failure as a parent, a failure as a spouse, a failure as an employee, whatever it is. Maybe you are somebody who's recently lost a loved one and you identified yourself purely as a spouse or a parent and maybe your child passed away or maybe your spouse passed away or maybe a divorce happened. What happens to us when our identity is so wrapped up in the things of this earth and then the things that we've based our identity on are taken from us? What happens? Our identity begins to crumble. We begin to have self-doubt. We, we, we lose who we are because we have wrapped up our identity in these earthly things, even good things. We have wrapped up our identity in all of these things, and when they are taken from us, we lose ourselves. You see, this is Satan's plan from the very beginning. Adam and Eve at the very beginning were, were, were born, were created in the Garden of Eden with the idea that God is God. We are his creation, and he loves us. But what did Satan try to convince them to do? And he convinced them of this. You can be God of your own life. You too can be God. You can control. You can decide what's good for you. You can define yourself. You can figure out what you need to do. It's, it's, it's your life. Do what you want. And immediately when, when Adam and Eve decided to not recognize God as God anymore and to set standards for themselves, sin entered into the world and death by sin. And we have been dealing with the consequences of that ever since. And even now, as we struggle with our identities, when we allow Satan and the world to define us by these exterior things instead of allowing God to define us, the same things result. So what was Satan's plan for this crew? Well, the eunuch who was in charge of their group of young people decided that their names wouldn't do. In fact, because they were, they, they, the, the, the names were a gospel presentation, they decided to give them names that were in direct opposite. In fact, they were heretical. Daniel's name was changed to this, Belteshazzar, which is not nearly as pretty as Daniel, by the way. Right? It just sounds kind of interesting. If, you name, here's, if you're going to have a child soon, please don't name your child Belteshazzar. All right? Belteshazzar means this, keeper of the hidden treasures of Baal. Keeper of the hidden treasures of Baal. Now, let's compare these to the original names. The original name was God is my judge. And now he's being called the keeper of, of Baal's hidden treasure. Are those in opposition to each other? Oh, yeah. Hananiah, which means the Lord shows grace, changed to Shadrach, which means command of Aku. Aku is the Babylonian moon god that was worshipped. So he was changed from the Lord shows grace to um, under the command of the moon god. Again, direct opposition. Mishael, his name was literally who is like God. Mishael's name was changed to Meshach, which means 
Aku is like Aku. It's a literal translation with a false deity inserted. It was done purposefully to cause him to question who he was and who he worshipped. And finally, Azariah changed to Abednego, meaning servant of the shining fire Nebo, who was the Babylonian God of wisdom. And in that name, you're changing from depending on the Lord's help to depending on the Babylonian God of wisdom, self-wisdom. You think those name changes are in any way accidental? Let's be real. Satan is really smart, and he has a plan to get you to question your identity. And he will use your weaknesses against you in order to get you to not accomplish God's plan for your life. He he hates you. God loves you. Satan hates you, and he's working on you, and he, will, he knows your weaknesses, and he will choose any, in any way he can to get you to view your identity differently so you will not listen to God's plan for you. And he's doing it probably in your life right now. He is. So what does this, what, what does this have to do with you and I? Well, that strategy that Babylon was using, you know, carrying people away, inserting them into a foreign culture, educating them in the way of this foreign culture, forcing false gods down people's throats, and even changing their name is the same thing that Satan is doing today. He's doing it. Does any of this sound familiar to you? We, 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 are, we are having all kinds of things, values of this world being shoved down our throats because Satan wants to cause you and I to forget who we are and to allow the world to define us by these external things that in God's perspective are not nearly as important. When we start thinking about ourselves, about defining purely by our human relationships instead of our relationship with God, we have placed our identity on shaky ground. When we have identified ourselves with a political party, when we have identified ourselves as, as a, a specific race on this planet, when we identify ourselves with things outside of our relationship with God, when things happen to begin to call those things into question, when our foundation is shaken, we are missing the opportunity to stand in the identity that God has secured in us. And that's why a majority of these followers of Israel we're not known to be standing for the truth in the midst of this dark day. Now notice, a lot of this happened to these four young men. And they chose not to make a big stand. I don't know, did anybody else find it interesting? when you're Because we've, we've been studying the book of Daniel chapter 1 for a while now. That when they were forced to go to school and to learn about Babylonian culture and even learn about these false Babylonian gods, um, these four men did not take a stand against learning. Did you notice that? They went to school. They were respectful to the leaders that were over them. And they, um, from what we learned, they learned well because they were the most respected and learned people in all of, the, all of the land eventually. So they didn't take a stand against going to school. And they didn't take a stand about learning about their culture. Interesting. Then they changed their names. 
They didn't just change their names. They made their names heretical, like completely against the teachings of God's word. And yet they didn't make a big deal about that either, did they? Now, if it were me, I would be really upset with the idea that my name went from God is my judge to the keeper of the hidden treasure of Baal. That seems like a massive shift, doesn't it? And it seems like something that would sit in your crawl wrong, right? But they didn't make that the big deal. It wasn't until they were commanded and told that they needed to eat the king's food that all of a sudden they decided to take a stand. Now, from my perspective and your perspective, eating's not a big deal. Like, I like to eat. And honestly, when I, when I, heard, when I heard Jason say, um, and then everybody had to eat the beans and vegetables, I cannot imagine how popular those kids were when every young person there had to quit eating the rich food and had to start eating beans and vegetables. Can you imagine, like, never mind. Maybe that's just me. They couldn't have been all that popular with that. And yet, for some reason, when, 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 when they were told to eat this, this, this food, that is where the line was drawn for them, and they decided to make a stand. But even when they made that stand, they did it. How did they do it? They were respectful. They were honest. And they gave it to God to prove himself. Right? Does it make sense that they would look chubbier? Because that's kind of, that's the Aaron translation of, what was it, leaner of flesh or like bigger, whatever. They were a little chubbier eating vegetables than they would have eaten the king's meat. That's a, that's a God intervention. Have you ever seen anybody that just eats vegetables? Does anybody in here just eat vegetables? Let's get an example going here. I don't know. <laughs> no, it's, it, it, they, the idea of them looking I mean, healthier makes sense, but even being thicker as a result of eating just vegetables, that's, that's miraculous. That's God intervening so that they would not have to disobey his commands. And so I've been racking my brain thinking, why in the world were they okay? I mean, they were not okay, but they didn't make a big big stink about having their names changed, but they made a big deal about the food. And the reality of it is, is and this is just me thinking through this process, I think that they were holding on to their identity. So when they went to school, they were able to hold on to what they knew is truth, even though they, were, they had to learn in the schools stuff that, for their, from their perspective, was not correct. It did not affect what they knew to be true just because they were in a school that taught something different. And just because this world and this kingdom decided to give them new names didn't change who they were. Did you catch that? They had these new names in the world. The world was calling them all kinds of stuff that was heretical, that they were looking, you know, they, they tried to change who they were, but they were able to understand that who they were was already secure because God had told them who they were, period, end of story. So even when they were faced with these new names, they knew who they were, and they knew their names. And I guarantee you when those four friends were together, they didn't use the Babylonian names. You know what I'm saying? They, when they're talking to God, they knew that they were Daniel, and they were Azariah, and they were Mishael, and they were Hananiah. That's who they were. You see, it doesn't matter what the world says about you. Now, we spend a lot of times caring what the world says about us, and it bothers us, 
when the world doesn't like us or when they begin to say, well, you're, you're doing this, you're not accepting of this, you're, you're different than we are, we're, we're going to call you intolerant, we're going to call you evil, all these things. And the truth is, is that we have to stand and understand that according to God, I am who he says I am. Now, the Jewish names these kids had were a reflection of the values Israel was supposed to have. Israel was known as being the children of the one true living God. The names that they were given by the people of Babylon were reflective of the values of Babylon and the values that Babylon was even founded on, which was basically submit to anyone except God. In fact, let's go ahead and, and, and look back at what some commentators believe is the founding of the Babylonian people. Go ahead and turn back to Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11. And for those of you who have been in church a while, this will be a, a story that is somewhat familiar to you. To set the stage for this passage, this is um, just a little bit of time has passed since the great flood. And if you recall at the very beginning, there was this standing command that the God of the universe gave to everybody. And it was, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The idea being that human beings were not supposed to all just congregate in one spot and be content. They were supposed to go out and fill the entire earth up. That command st stood even after the, the, the flood. Because you remember, we were, we, they were knocked back down to just Noah and his wife and his kids. And shortly thereafter, just a few generations later, there was a bunch of people that were all together. And that's where we pick up in Genesis chapter 11. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had bricks for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Right there you notice that the entire foundation of what they were going to attempt to do was in direct opposition to God's desire for these people. It, the entire foundation of what they were trying to accomplish at the Tower of Babel was in direct rebellion to Yahweh. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we actually do what God wants, be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Verse five, and the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down. And they're confused their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth. And they left off building that city. Therefore, its name was called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. Ever since the fall of man, our natural tendency as human beings is to not want to do what God commands us to do. If you've had a kid, you know this to be true. But one of the first words they learn is what? No. And some of them, you know, want to know what, what a word I hear a lot from adults too? 
No. When, you, when we go to the word of God and it clearly says to do something, it is not our first reaction to be like, okay, I'll do that. Usually it's, I, I don't really want to do that. Why? You know, with that little whining voice thing going on. It's like, no, I don't want to obey. These people had been told, they knew the expectation that they would, that they would be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And in this verse, we just heard that they're perfect. Man, we, what if we actually, we don't want to do that. So let's not do it. Let's establish our city here and let's make a name for ourselves by making these big towers that will actually reach up into heaven. Um, the, the historian Josephus actually said this, that um, if, you got, if you don't know, Nimrod is, is thought to have been one of the founders of the Babylonian culture. He said, um, he said that Nimrod wanted to be revenged on God, that he, if he should have a mind to drown the world again, that for that he would build a tower too high for the waters to be able to reach, and that he would avenge himself on God for destroying their forefathers. The idea being that instead of just choosing to obey God so he wouldn't be punished again, he would rather be disobedient, risk God's judgment, and just build a tower to escape God's judgment rather than just submit to the God of the universe. Now, we laugh at something like that, but we do the same thing. Our culture does the same thing. We try to figure out ways to get around God's commands. We try to figure out a way to disobey God. We, the culture would list rather submit to anybody or anything besides the God of the universe. So the very founding of Babylon is founded on this idea that we are going to make a name for ourselves. We are going to make our identity for ourselves we are going to choose what is best for ourselves, ourselves, and not obey God. Now, in direct opposition to that, turn over one page to Genesis chapter 12. Starting in verse number one. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will, be bless, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. So the very next chapter you have a, you have a, a city and a culture and a people that are established on being disobedient. And God calls out. In fact, we know that he comes from Ur of the Chaldees, right? Ur of the Chaldees. The Chaldeans is another name for Babylon, by the way. The, the, the entire, you know, Ur, I'm sorry, Abram is called out of those very people. And what identifies him as different from that is that he chooses to listen and obey God. Did you notice his response? Verse 4. So Abram went. God told him to go. Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Now, what's interesting is that maybe, many of you may not have heard, but this, this, this is Abram, but he's also known as he has another name. You remember what that name is? Abraham. And his name is changed. Flip over to Genesis chapter 17, starting in verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, 
walk before me and be blameless, that I may make a covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abraham fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of multitudes of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Abram chose to obey God. God looked at Abram and made a covenant promise to him that he would make a great nation out of him that was symbolized by a changing of name, which means he was given an identity that was not based on him. It was based on God's promise to Abraham. His identity was set, period. That then moves forward, and the people of God, God makes these covenants with his people over and over again. Even when the people of God were unfaithful, God's covenant with them did not change because his covenant was based on him, not them. And even when the world looked dark, and even when things began to fall apart due to the sinful choices of the people of God, they were able to stand, some of them at least, in their identity because their identity was based on God's covenant something that would not change, no matter what their circumstances were in their life. These four men, four young men, faced all manner of negativity in their life and held firm to their identity because they knew that God keeps his promises. And God determined their identity no matter what the world said to them and around them. So there are three observations I want you to get out of this passage, these passages that we've read. Number one, the truest things, if you're a follower of Jesus today, the truest things about you are what God says about you. And if the world says something different, the world is wrong. Period. When God says in Ephesians chapter one, you are loved and accepted, you are righteous, you are holy, and the world says, well, you did this in your past, so therefore you're unlovable and you're unworthy and you're unjust, you have to be like, you know what? That's who I was. But God says this, and what God says about me is the truest thing about me. God says I'm righteous. God says I'm holy. God says all these things, not because of the things I've done, but because of who he is and what he has done. And these guys were able to hold on to that in the midst of the Babylonian captivity. God says who I am, not the eunuch. You can change my name on the outside, but I know who I am on the inside, and I will stand on that truth no matter what the world says. These men held on to that. Number one, the truest things about us are what God says. Remember that. Number two, the identity that we accept determines how we will live. If we allow the world to define who we are, then we will live like the world. If we live according to what God says is true about us, if we believe that God, you know what? God says I'm righteous. Guess what you're gonna wanna do? Well, if I'm, you know, God says I'm righteous, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cooperate with the Holy Spirit and maybe try to live righteously, right? Now, we're not doing that under our own power, under our own strength to gain God's approval. We're doing it because God has given us his approval and his righteousness and his holiness and so therefore, because we have been loved and accepted, we then choose to live in obedience to him out of his great love for us. 
the truest things about us are what God says. The identity we accept determines how we choose to live. Number three, the identity given by God is our source of strength in the face of adversity. This world is full of adversity. The Bible promises that we are going to deal with trouble our entire life while we're on this planet. It's actually going to make heaven even sweeter because we know where we're going. But if we do not hold on to the identity that we've been given in Christ, and then we face that trouble using the identity the world gives us, that trouble will overwhelm and destroy us. And it happens all the time. But if we can stand on the sure foundation of God's word and what he says about us, if we can believe that what he says about us is true, even when we're facing the difficulties of this life, we know that God's plan is bigger and better, and we know where we're going, and we have hope. For these men, they were carried away into a foreign city. They were surrounded by all kinds of incorrect, terrible teaching. They were, their, 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 their identity was challenged. They were put in circumstances that for many would be just completely destructive to their life. And yet we observed that it wasn't about the city that they were living in that had the greatest effect on them. It was about the city that they were living for. It was about the fact that even though they were in Babylon, they were not of Babylon. They were part of God's kingdom living in exile. And, if they, and they were able to hold on to the truth, and because of it, they stood strong on the things that mattered. They wouldn't disobey God with the diet. They wouldn't disobey God when they were told to stop praying. They held on to their identity, recognizing that God would care for them and meet their needs, even if it meant their passing. They would, God would be with them. Scripture tells us, though I walk through that valley of shadow of death, I don't have to fear. Because even if I'm facing death, he is with us. Amen? Your identity matters. The question you have to ask yourself is this, who or what are you allowing to determine your identity? Who or what are you allowing to determine your identity? And guys, it could be anything. It could be who you vote for. It could be politics. It can be relationships. It can be your job. It can be certain opinions on certain controversial topics. But those are not who you are. Who you are is determined by God. If you hold on to that, you'll be able to face any difficulty in this life and stand strong for his kingdom. Your identity matters. Who or what are you allowing to determine? Let's pray. Father, you are good. And I am so thankful today that you have given us these new identities if we have trusted in you. If we have placed our faith and trust in you as our Savior, there are truths about who we are that changed immediately and permanently through your power and your strength. Just as Daniel and his friends were faced with difficulty but held on to the, to the promises that you made to Abraham and his people, and they were able to stand strong I pray that we as your people would hold on to the truths of what you have promised us and the things you have made true about us so that we may stand strong on the things that matter, representing your kingdom even 
as we have been carried off into captivity. But Lord, I pray through all of it that our identity would be found in you. Strengthen us to live for you, Lord Jesus. We love you. In Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Thank you so much. Go ahead and stand up with us and sing this last song. I am who Jesus says I am. Amen? Make this your commitment.